I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. I don't know about you, but I have been super blessed as we have been taking this extended look through communion. Uh, It's just been something that God has placed on my heart to kind of take and to do a deeper dive into what communion is all about and and why we celebrate it. I mean, this this is one of those things where it's such a part of the routine, such a part of the rhythm of the church that oftentimes we go through the motions of partaking in communion. We go through the motions of doing this that we, we sometimes miss the underlying things that are there. And we can maybe become at fault of not really understanding fully what we're doing. That we, you know, we, we take the bread, we take the cup, and we just we walk through the motions. And, the, and I don't want to be a people who do that. I wanted to make sure that as we celebrate communion, we understand what we're doing. And I just... Uh, through this year have been, I keep coming back to this idea of communion, keep coming back to this idea that we need to be devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to. That we have to be people who say, I've got to trust that God is going to bless us as we devote ourselves to what the early church devoted themselves to. And so one of the things when we read Acts chapter 2, that that early church did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fasting, to gathering together in large groups, to gathering together in small groups. But then it also says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so that's, that's kind of what we're looking at today. And so last week, in case you missed, we kind of looked at like the history behind the history that how this idea of the communion service actually dates back 3,000 years ago to the Israelites and a meal that they prepared and that they celebrated and have been celebrating for the last 3,000 years, this meal called the Passover, where they would take time and remember how God delivered them out of Egypt and how God had freed them by sacrificing a lamb and by taking the blood of that lamb and placing it on their doorposts, they would be exempt from the death angel that was coming over Egypt. And so we saw that last week, how that, that's kind of the backstory and, and why it, it can be really powerful for us to look at the Jewish festivals and to see that there's, there, there's actually some meaning in there that is still applicable that can help us understand a little more fully what Jesus taught. Because, I mean, here's the truth. Jesus wasn't blonde. He wasn't blue-eyed. He, he, he didn't speak with a British accent. Uh, uh, as, as wonderful as the Chosen is that we've been showing, he didn't probably even look like that guy either. He, he spoke to a first century audience of Jews, and he used language that they would understand. And so by understanding what he was teaching back then, we have a better understanding of the words and the weight 
of the words that he was speaking. And we're going to get a little bit more deeper than that today as we look at what happened when Jesus and his disciples had this meal together. And, and how he infused ancient tradition with new meaning. And so today we are going to look at the cup and the bread and the cup. We're going to look at why Jesus probably chose these symbols and what it signifies for us as we gather together for communion. And so we started the story last week by looking at Jesus supernaturally telling them that you're going to go into the city and you're going to find a, a place set up for you to prepare this meal. I mean, I don't know if you consider that, that Jesus said, okay, there's going to be this house you can go to and they're going to be ready. Could, could you imagine the, the fact that this family, which was probably Mark's parents, the guy who wrote this story, Mark's parents had to have heard from the Holy Spirit, okay, you need to prepare the Passover meal up in this room. Oh, and by the way, you need to set 13 extra place settings. <laughs> like, like uh, are we hearing you correctly, God? But, but they did. They, they went ahead and they had extra space, extra food, extra everything. I mean, at least we, that, that's the thing that we seem to see from this story. Jesus didn't RSVP. He didn't send in uh, something ahead of time. But supernaturally, God prepared this meal so that his disciples could have this with him on the night before he was going to be betrayed. And so we're going to continue the story as they're now in Mark's home. And they are getting ready. That's why I love Mark's rendition of this. He was probably there. He was probably in the room as Jesus was instituting new things into this ancient tradition. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. As a matter of fact, why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 26. And this is how it reads out of the New Living Translation. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Then he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out the Mount of Olives. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this place, to be surrounded by your word. I pray that as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would speak new things to us, that as we are looking back at what you did, that it would have greater significance, it would have greater meaning, that it would be something that we would choose to devote ourselves to throughout the year, throughout our times together, that it wouldn't be something we'd relegate to a special time, to a special service, to special people, but that we'd realize we are called to do this as the family of God often. So 
Make it more alive to us today as we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you wave at somebody before you take your seat. Let them know that you're excited to be worshiping with us. Thank you to our Facebook family who's joining in right now. We're excited for what God is doing uh, here, and we are excited to continue to look at this. And the one thing that jumps off the page right now as I read through this passage that we really need to take hold of is the fact that it says they went out and they sang a hymn. And so obviously this tells us that hymns are way more spiritual than our choruses. So we're going to bring the hymnals out again. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> the word hymn there is actually just means song. And so there, there's, I, don't, I don't think there's anything more spiritual about any type of worship as long as it's worship that ultimately points people to Christ. And so that, that has nothing to do, that was just something fun to throw in there. But anyway, what I do see in here is that, as we talked about, this is a meal that the Israelites would have been celebrating for at least a thousand years prior to Christ coming on the scene. And so there were traditions in there. There were customs in there. There were things that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation that they were continuing to do. We don't know exactly what they did. We, we have some hints. We have some, some ancient scholars that can point to what they did. We do know for close to 2,000 years, the Jews have been celebrating this meal almost identically over this period of time. So there's some sense that they probably did things very similar to what you see Jews doing today when they have their Seder meal. But we can't say it was exactly like this. But we do know there were certain elements in place. And we do know there were certain things that took place as they were gathering together. And there were certain things that they were reminding each other of. And so in the midst of this very ancient tradition, Jesus starts to do some new things. So the first thing, new thing that I want you to see that Jesus does is he creates a new tradition. This had been celebrated for a thousand years, and Jesus took this ancient celebration and put new tradition in that the people who would follow him would continue to institute these new things, not only in the Seder, which if you get around Messianic Jews, they incorporate the new things Jesus did into their Seder meals, but also a new tradition that would take this meal beyond a once-a-year celebration to a time where they would gather together in their homes, and they would gather together in their churches, and they would gather together in separate pockets and different times, and they would celebrate this meal even without the Seder being a part of what they were doing. And so we, we see here in verse 22, Jesus says, and as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take it for this is my body. Now again, if you're a Christian, you've heard this so many times in the past. You have heard people talk about the bread being broken for us, that Jesus broke the bread. But as I tried to pull out last week, this was something that the Jews had been doing before Jesus. As a matter of fact, this week I got a really, really fancy and I got my Passover Seder cloth. Now, Jesus' probably didn't look anything like this. If they used a cloth uh, back then, we're not sure. Again, if you go to a Seder today, you will see a cloth like this that's often used. And they, they can't always explain why, but the cloth is divided into three sections. 
And so you will have three pieces of matzah inside those three sections. And then Jews today will always go to the middle section and they'll pull out the middle piece of matzah. And they don't know why. But they always take from the middle. And that's the one that they break. And they break that piece of matzah at a certain point in the meal. And then they have a second cloth. And they take this one little piece and they call it the afkomen. And then they tuck that little piece of bread and they put it in this special cloth and then the host of the meal will go and hide it someplace in the house. And then what happens is at some point after the meal, the children will go and look for this piece and it is lifted up and it's resurrected and brought back into the meal. So with that as a backdrop, Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you. He's taking a tradition that they've been doing for years, that they've been breaking this bread for years. But he makes it a new tradition. He says, whenever you break this bread, you're not just doing it because this has been tradition. You're doing it because I'm asking you to put new traditions in. That when you break this bread, you remember my body, which will be broken for you. So then, he moves on. In verse 23, we read, He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. So, passing around a cup of wine was not unusual for them. This was something that they did. It was a typical thing. As a matter of fact, if you've been to a Seder, you will see that in any Seder, there's always four cups of wine that are drunk during that time. That They pass that around, and everyone is expected to drink at least a little bit of the wine from each cup. And those four cups actually are to remind them of God's redemption. Each cup signifies a different part of who God is. Matter of fact, each cup signifies something different about what God called them to be. And so, if you, we, they go back to Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, as they pass around the cup, and they remember four statements that God made where He said, I will be this for you. And so, I want to read that passage, and so you see what the four cups signify. In, in Exodus 6, God tells the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. So here, as the cup is being passed around, the first time they're remembering that God says, I will free you. The second time, they're remembering that God says, I will rescue you. The third time, they're passing it around. He's saying, I will redeem you. And the last time, he's saying, I will claim you. You will be mine. I will be yours. There's debate 
on whether Jesus used one of these passings to say, this is my blood. Some people think it was the third pass when he's talking about redemption. Some people believe he actually took it up a fifth time and passed it out as a new tradition. We don't know for sure. That part has not been handed down to us. But we do know that he was just doing what they had been doing for a thousand years. He took the cup, but this time as he lifted it up, he's saying, this is my blood. This is something new. That Even when you do this old tradition, you're going to do something new. You're going to remember me through this cup. And so, that's why we remember him through the passing of a cup. So, it was a new tradition. The other thing that we see that he created through this act, he created a new track. Not only did he give them a new tradition, he gave them a new track, a new way to access God. You see, from the time that they've been celebrating this meal, they'd also been following a sacrificial system that required bulls and sheep and lambs and pigeons and all sorts of other animals to be sacrificed for their sins. That if they wanted access to God, they had to follow this law and they had to provide different sacrifices. But now, through this act of communion, as they were sitting around the table, Jesus was saying, I'm giving you new access. You used to have to go through the priest. You used to have to go with a sacrifice. You used to have to bring an offering. Now he's saying, I'm going to be the offering. You can come to God through me. You can find a different path, a different track by choosing to have your faith in what I will do for you. In verse 24, he says, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and His people. He's saying, I'm going to give you a new way of accessing me, a new way of accessing God, and it's going to be through my blood. It's interesting because I don't know if they would have thought of it, but it could have been too long after Jesus was crucified that Isaiah 53 began to ring in the early disciples' ears. Isaiah 53 is such a powerful picture of Jesus Christ. It's so powerful. I once heard a Jewish convert tell his audience that when he was a Jew growing up, going to synagogue, he never heard Isaiah 53 ever quoted during any of their Jewish traditions, during any of their Jewish festivals, during any of the times where they set aside readings from the Old Testament. They would never touch Isaiah 53. And so he once asked a rabbi, he's like, why do we never read Isaiah 53 during synagogue? And the rabbi said, well, we don't want to confuse people. It sounds too much like Jesus, and we just don't want to confuse people. Now, now I don't know if that's every rabbi's viewpoint, but that particular rabbi said, I don't, I, we don't want to confuse people. This sounds too much like Jesus, and so we don't want people to think this is Jesus. But this is Jesus. You can't read this and not see Jesus. The, the crux of it is something that we have heard before. It's probably something you've heard read over communion in the past. And it, it's part of the rationale why we believe communion is so powerful. 
Isaiah 53, I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have all left God's path to follow our own. Yet he laid on him the sins of us all. He's saying, God is saying to Isaiah, people have tried to use their own path. People have tried to use their own track to get to me. But now, I'm going to send a servant. He's going to suffer. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be ridiculed. But he's going to be whipped so that you can be healed. He's going to be broken so that you can be made whole. He's going to be carrying your sins when he suffers and dies. And through that servant, you will have a new path back to God. So that's what he did. Jesus did that night. He was letting them know, I'm about to create a new track, a new way to get to God. But not only did Jesus give them new traditions and a new track, he also gave all of us a New Testament. Now, New Testament is a word that we're probably familiar with, right? It's the, it's the other half of the Bible. Like if, you're, if you're Jewish, you only believe in the first half of the Bible. If you're a Christian, you believe there's a second half. Like any good movie, there's a, there's a good sequel, right? Well, sometimes. Usually the sequel's not as good. But, but anyway, but here you see Jesus saying, I'm going to give a New Testament. And, and by that, it's not just meaning I'm going to give you a new half of the Bible. Testament actually means covenant. And, and a covenant is an arrangement made between people through relationship. Often when I share at a wedding, I try to help people understand the difference between contract and covenant. See, contracts are made to be broken. Con- covenant is made to be consummated and sealed. Covenants are not supposed to be torn apart. Covenants are supposed to be enacted and guarded with the very lives of the people who are instilling the covenant. That these covenants cannot be broken just because you had a bad day or because the other person burnt your toast. Like, this was supposed to be an enduring thing. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God said, I'm making a covenant with my people. In Abraham's generation, Abraham's children, his descendants are going to be blessed forever. But even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was hints, there was whisperings, there was always the sense that God was going to bless Israel so that everyone else would be invited in too. In this instance, Jesus is saying, What I am doing is not only for you. It's not only for the Jews. It's for everyone. In verse 24, he goes on to say, This is my blood. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I'm giving a New Testament. 
I'm giving a new covenant. I'm giving a new way to come to God, and it's a way for many. Many who thought they didn't have access to God. Many who thought that God had forgotten them or that they had done so much that God would never love them. He said, when you take this meal, you remember that you were invited in. That this sacrifice was made for you. Even though you weren't deserving, even though you weren't the right family, even though you weren't the right kind of person, this sacrifice was made so that you could be brought in, that you could be made whole. And so, he instituted this so that we could know we are accepted, we are brought in. So, I once heard it said, and I, I, I love this, three of the most powerful phrases in the English language. I'm not saying they're the only powerful phrases, but three of the most powerful phrases in the English language are this. I love you. I forgive you. Dinner is ready. I love you. I forgive you. Dinner is ready. That's what Jesus is saying through communion. I love you. I'm creating a new covenant, a new testament. I forgive you. I'm giving you a new track, a new way to get back to God. And dinner's ready. Let's sit down and let's, let's commune together. Let, let's, have, let's have tradition that's infused with meaning. And it doesn't have to be once a, month, once a year on a special day with special rules. Let's, let's just be people who hang out together and eat together and commune together and enjoy presence with one another and with God. Here's the thing. We recognize that this is a promise. We recognize that this is a covenant. But we also need to realize this. A promise is only as powerful as the promiser. I could get up here this morning and promise all of you that on your way out, I'll be handing you a million dollars. Sounds like a great promise, right? I mean, I think all of us would sign up for that. However, I'm not that powerful. Or maybe not that rich, at least. Uh, it's just, we, we can't... We, there's certain people, when they make promises, we just we don't trust it because we don't believe they have the power to execute on it. But when God says, I'm going to do something new, we can trust His power, not only because He's shown His faithfulness in the past, but because he sealed it by sending his own son to die. And he executed the power by bringing him back to life. That's why we celebrate this meal. That's why we come back over and over, because his promise was fulfilled by the power to raise Christ from the dead. And so we're going to celebrate communion together. And we're going to We're going to do this much the way we did last week where there's going to be a time of reflection. There's going to be a time for you to consider this meal. Consider what God has done for you. Consider your own sinfulness and ask for forgiveness. And if you, when you're ready, you can come up and you can take these elements and you can bring them back to your seat and you can partake together as a family. You can grab somebody in the room and say, I would, like to, I would like to connect with you. Let, let's do communion together. However you feel comfortable doing it, maybe you have something wrong against somebody here, and you need to get that right. 
before you take communion. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling you right now and act in a way that honors Him. But one of the things we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is we're not to take this lightly. We're not to take this without first taking time to consider. And so I want to give you that opportunity. And as you're considering, I want to read all of Isaiah 53. The passage that they say isn't Jesus, but it is. And I want you to hear this. And I want you to fresh and anew recognize everything that is said about this suffering servant was fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. And in your mind's eye, I want you to recognize that as Jesus was being beaten, as Jesus was being whipped, as Jesus was being crucified, He was doing it for you. It wasn't because He was sinful, it's because we were. And He was doing it so that we could be restored. So, I'm not going to put the words up. I just want you to hear them. Maybe close your eyes and quietly reflect on what God promised 600 years before Jesus came would be made available for us. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have all left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. And yet he never said a word. He was led away like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, to cause him grief. 
Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When we see, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. That is our Jesus. That is who we're remembering. This is what he asked us to do. Because he knew that when we take this bread, when we take this cup, we're reminding ourselves, we're reminding the world outside what he has done. That when we can dwell together in unity over this cup, over this bread, an onlooking world will be reminded that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was led away nailed on a cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And so, let's take some time right now and participate in communion. I, I do want to offer that our only real requirement is that you be someone who has trusted Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ, we, we ask you to, to respectfully consider not partaking in communion because this is, this is an act for believers. And so, the only requirement that we ask of you is that you would take some time to consider. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a part of our congregation to participate. We just do ask that you are a member of the body of Christ. And as a matter of fact, if that's your longing, if you're either here in person or you're watching online and you don't know Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision right here, right now. So I'm going to pray that, and then I'm going to pray a blessing. But if you're here and you want to accept Christ, I want to encourage you to just pray a simple prayer. You don't have to use my words. You don't have to say this out loud. But that you would say this either in your own words or in the quietness of your own heart, that you would say something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sins, for my mistakes. I'm sorry for my old life. I'm sorry for the pain I have caused. Today, I turn away from that life and I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to walk with Jesus every day. God, I thank you for the new life you've given me. And today I give you all of mine as I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, come talk to with one of us. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life and love to give you the resources you need. If you did that online, 
please send us a Facebook message or send us some way of connecting so that we can know that you've done this, so that we can give you the resources you need. But for the rest of us, let's take a moment. Communion's here. It will wait as long as you need to. The worship team has the same instructions that they're not going to come up here until they're ready. And so this music will play quietly and then we're going to sing a couple more songs of worship. But don't, don't rush this. Don't start singing because the worship team gets up there and starts singing. Take some time and reflect on what this means. That we don't just run through this and go, okay, this was a fun part of service, but we, we actually reflect what it cost for Jesus to die, that it was our sins, it was our misgivings, it was our transgressions. That you remember that, that you thank God for that, and that you live the rest of your days from a status of being forgiven. That as you remember, then you don't just sit back and live your life and get excited about who's playing football today. That you go out and you look for opportunities to let Christ be glorified in your life. So let me bless this act of communion and then you respond however you need to. Like I said, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to have some prayer teams come up eventually. If you need prayer, if you, if you need to ask someone to pray with you before you can take communion, maybe, maybe there's something you need to confess. We don't have to confess to people, but sometimes we need that extra push. And so if you need to talk to somebody, if you need someone to pray with you, Come find one of our prayer partners and let them pray with you. But don't leave without making sure you have remembered fully what Christ has done and that you're going to be recommitted to take it with you wherever you go. So let me bless us and then you can respond. Jesus, make this more real to us. Help us remember you didn't die so that we could have comfortable American Christian lives. You died so that we'd remember that we were sinners, that we were people far from you. And that by accepting your gift of forgiveness, you've given us the awesome responsibility of proclaiming this to a watching world. Don't let us get off easy, God. Help us to really remember this morning. Help us to really live this out in a way that draws people to you. We love you so much, Jesus. And we pray all of these things in your name. Bless this bread. Bless this cup. Bless this time of remembrance. Amen.